Good morning, everybody. How we doing? Obviously, as you can tell, I'm not Pastor Jeremy. So if you're new with us, I apologize. Uh, don't run for the exits just yet. I'm Stephen Courtney, and I'm one of the pastors here at Timber Creek Church, and it's an honor to be here with you guys this morning. It's going to be good. Thanks for being here. And uh, we've got an exciting, exciting morning for you guys. It's been amazing already, hasn't it? The worship's just been incredible. We've got the best worship band around. It's been good. It's been awesome. Amen? Well, cool. Well, guys, we are in the middle of our series, Juice. Everybody say juice. juice. Awesome. This is make you thirsty for some orange juice or something, man. And uh, it looks good. But we, we have, for the last four weeks, we've been walking through this series this summer called Juice. And uh, if you've not been with us, you're going to enjoy this. It's going to be good. But we've basically what we've been doing is we've been walking through Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, and looking at the, what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. And how that applies to our relationships, right? We believe that if we apply the right fruit in our lives, it will just totally impact our relationships, our friendships with everybody. And, and these fruit of the Spirit are the key to healthy, healthy relationships, okay? So in fact, why don't we do this? Why don't we start this morning by looking at that passage in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to do that here real quick on the screen. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Why don't you read it with me, okay? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Good job. You guys have had some coffee this morning. You're doing good. Well, guys, the first, uh, the first week of this series, Pastor Jeremy laid an awesome foundation for us and helped us understand that we need to be picking the right fruit from the right tree. And I tell you what, if you're new with us today, if you're a guest with us or you weren't here that first week, I encourage you to go back to, go to our website, go to timbercreekchurch.com, click on the watch tab. It'll bring down our sermon archives, all the past messages. You can click on juice and the first one in there is, is uh, barking up the wrong tree. And that's the first message in this series. And Pastor Jeremy did such a great job with that and just really laid a foundation for us for this series called Juice. Then in week two, he talked about love, right? Then he talked about joy the next week. And then last week, he talked about peace. Well, this week, I get the privilege and the honor of talking this morning about goodness, all right? Everybody say goodness. goodness. Awesome. How do you define goodness? What's a good uh, definition of the word goodness? Well, one, it's translated, as it's translated, it means uprightness of heart and a life of integrity. Integrity. We're going to talk about that quite a bit this morning. Another definition says that goodness is a character trait that causes someone to do what is right and beneficial for others. It includes a passion for truth and a hatred for evil. Now you might be looking at me and you might say, uh, Pastor Stephen, man, when I look at these fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, you know, I, I look at that and, and I would just say, man, I got goodness down. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I've got this goodness thing down? Just like first service, nobody wants to be brave enough to raise their hand. Look at that. Well, you know, I, you, know I, you could look at these and just say, you know what, I, I'm loving at times, but I could be a little bit more loving, right? I could uh, have a little bit more joy in my life. I try to work on that, you know, especially on Monday mornings. Man, just ask my coworkers when I walk in on a Monday morning, I could probably use a little bit more joy, right? And then there's patience, right? That's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, help us there, right? You know, just ask my spouse and my kids how much I need to work on patience, 
But you look at me this morning and say, but goodness, man, I got that down. I got goodness down. I am a good person. In fact, look to the person next to you and say, I am good. Very nice. Good. Well, you know what? I got some news for you this morning. I got some good news and I got some bad news. You ready? The bad news is you're not as good as you think you are. And I'm not as good as I think I am. And, uh, but you say, wait, Pastor Stephen, though, my mama said I was a good boy. My mama said I was a good girl. Well, uh, more bad news, your mama lied to you. You're not a good boy. You're not a good girl. And you're not as good as you think you are. In fact, we are born into a sinful world with a sinful heart. And, and, and that's what I want to talk about for just a second. I want to elaborate on this idea because mama lied to us, okay? Um, I, I know you love your mama, but she lied to you. There's this idea, right, as we get, as we're kids and even as we get older, there's this idea that we're, we're good people, that we have this good heart, that we just, you know, we, we're nice people, we're a nice kid, nice guy, nice girl, and that we're just good. And even as kids, we're taught to kind of uh, just monitor our behavior, right? You better be a good boy. You better be a a good girl, you better watch what you say, you better watch what you do, or there's going to be what? There's going to be consequences, right? And as we get older, we still struggle with those things because what happens, right? We think we're a good person, and then all of a sudden somebody frustrates us, cuts us off in traffic, something comes flying out of your mouth, and you want to tell them how, how number one they are and, and all that kind of stuff, and, and, and you're like, dude, where did that come from? Uh, I, I never talk like that. That, that. I don't know where that came from. I know where it came from. It came from your heart because your mama lied to you. You're not that good. And we have this heart, right? We have this heart that's just, it's ugly. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need Jesus, right? And so uh, we get really good at monitoring our behavior. If I just behave, right? In fact, you know, when there's consequences, right? Um, uh, my dad, um, and I grew up in Beaumont, Texas, and I, I believe he kind of believed in corporal punishment. And he, he even grew this willow tree in the backyard, right? Anybody know what a willow tree is? Yeah, it's not your normal tree. It's got these kind of droopy branches. In fact, they're just switches, okay? And I believe that my, God, my, my dad uh, planted this willow tree in the backyard specifically for my rear end and, and for my sister. And, um, man, I'd even get to go pick out my own switch. How lucky was I? And, um, but, man, we can try to monitor our behavior, whether we're kids, whether we're adults. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we do, guys. We're just, we're just not good. And we need Jesus, right? We need the Lord to help us. Um, we can monitor what we say, what we do, how we act as, as hard as we can. But at the end of the day, we need God. We need God to help us monitor our heart, not our behavior. We need a new heart. We need a new life. We need Jesus to come in and we say yes to Jesus. We ask him to forgive us of our sins. He comes in. He makes it all new. He gives us a new heart. And there's this big idea that Pastor Jeremy has been sharing each week with us as he sets up each message. And we're going to have it on the screen again this morning. And that's this, that the big difference, there's a big difference between a morally good heart and a supernaturally changed heart. And that's what we need. We can't be good on our own. This idea of goodness and producing goodness in our life, we're just not good. We're not good on our own. We need Jesus. And it's only with Jesus' help and him supernaturally changing our hearts that we can begin to live out this goodness. In fact, Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who, who can understand it? Right? So our heart, it's, it's, it's not good. 
right? We need God's help. Mark chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus is speaking to the rich young ruler, and he says, no one, no one is good but God, okay? So let me just lay that groundwork for us that we're just not as good as we think we are, but God is. That's the good news. There was bad news, now that's the good news, that we have a Savior, that we have a, a, a God who loves us and who sacrificed and gave us the greatest gift of all through His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we could have a, a supernaturally changed heart, a new heart, so that we could begin to display the goodness of God and this goodness that we see in the fruit of the Spirit. So, back to this definition of goodness, right? Uh, pastor and author Tim Keller, amazing speaker, amazing author, he provides a helpful definition that we can use this morning for goodness when he says this. He says, being the same person in every situation. That goodness is being the same person in every situation rather than being a phony or a hypocrite. Wow, that's kind of strong, but it's true, right? That's what the kind of person I want to be. Um, but one of the synonyms for goodness is wholeness, right? You look at this fruit up here, as I turn around, how many of you have ever taken an apple and on the skin of the apple, green or red or whatever, it, it looks like an apple and then you go to bite into it and you find an orange. Anybody ever done that? That'd be pretty impressive, right? Or have you ever peeled back an orange and you find an apple, right? That, that doesn't work, right? An apple is an apple all the way through. It's whole. It's apple from, from the skin to the core. It's an apple. Same thing with an orange, right? There's this wholeness. And so goodness is wholeness. God wants us to be whole, right? Goodness is also translated integrity. You know, we read that a while ago in one of the definitions, so we're going to talk about that, right? There's this idea of integrity. When we are, are displaying goodness in our life, we are men and women of godly integrity, right? They kind of go hand in hand, and, and there's this goodness, there's this wholeness, there's this integrity. And that's where I want to kind of land today for a little bit is on this idea of integrity. Because if we are pursuing integrity, we're going to display this fruit of the Spirit goodness in our life, okay? Here's what integrity is. Integrity is deciding to blend my heart's values into my daily actions, right? You want to blend them together. Integrity is deciding to blend my heart's values into my daily actions. Integrity comes from this word integrate, right? So it's the ability to blend the two together, to blend the values of my heart into my daily actions every single day. That feeling, you know, that feeling you get when you know you've done something right. For me, sometimes I do a lot of things wrong. So when I feel like I've done something right and it feels good, that's, that's integrity. I've done the right thing. In that definition that I gave you just a second ago, circle that word deciding, because that's the key. That's the key. It's something that we have to decide to do. We can't do it on our own, and we don't just fall into it. That's the key. You don't just slip into integrity. You don't wake up and go through your day and say, oops, I, I just fell into integrity, man. It turned out to be a good day, right? It's, that's not how it works. It's something that you decide to do, something you decide on in life. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning and how integrity impacts our relationships and goodness impacts our relationships, right? But there's a solid, secure foundation there of relationships. Integrity is important to God. It's very important to Him. In fact, Proverbs 28.6, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. So in other words, God's saying, hey, integrity is valuable. It's important. In fact, it's more valuable than all the stuff you think is valuable, right? We think all of our stuff and all these accomplishments are most valuable when God's saying, hey, your integrity, your goodness, 
That's what's really valuable. First Chronicles 29, 17. It says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. Integrity is one of those things that makes God happy. He smiles upon integrity. Usually the word integrity is used when we talk about business, right? We talk about finances, right? We want to have integrity in our workplace, in our business transactions. We talk about integrity when it comes to politicians. Oh boy, here we go, right? There's a, there's a lack of integrity in politics today, right? We see that a lot. And with all the, while those things are important, and they are important, and it's important to have integrity in those situations too, we, we don't always talk a lot about personal integrity. And, and, and personal integrity within our relationships, our families, our marriages, uh, relationships with our kids, and with those we interact with on a daily basis. And that's what this series called Juice is all about. The idea of the fruit of the Spirit being key ingredients to healthy relationships. And no doubt that goodness and integrity are, are key ingredients as well for healthy relationships. So here's the real value of integrity, okay? The real value of integrity and goodness for relationships is that it has the power to build trust. It has the ability to build trust in, in, in a relationship. And trust is what fuels every relationship, right? I know my wife Ellie and I, one of the things we enjoy the most here in ministry is when we get to do premarital counseling with couples that are getting ready to get married. We're going to try to fix them before they go off and, and get married, right? And we try to do our best with that. Or, or we, we meet with couples sometimes that are already married and we, we, we do marriage counseling with some couples, you know. And trust is one of those things we talk about a lot, right? But why? Because it's the foundation, right? It has to be the foundation of, a, of a, a healthy marriage, right? And so when we talk to premarital couples, we just talk about laying the right foundation that's based on Jesus. And that has got to be your rock. That has got to be that foundation. Sometimes we meet with couples where the foundation of trust has been fractured. It has been broken. It's been crushed a little bit. And it's not beyond repair with God's help. But we have to talk about trust. And we have to talk about rebuilding and relaying that foundation of trust. So when you and I have integrity in a relationship, it builds that level of trust in each other. Okay, and here's some benefits, just real quick. Uh, there's a lot of benefits of integrity, but here's three benefits of integrity that help that level of trust build in your relationships. One is protection. That's a benefit of your relationships of, of, of integrity, right? When there's protection, then there's less fear, right? It's like my relationship with the Lord. I know that He protects me, right? I don't understand everything. It doesn't mean that bad things don't sometimes happen or, or things I don't understand, but I feel protected as I trust the Lord and, and grow in integrity there. So there's, there's less fear because of protection. Psalms 25, 21, may integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. The second benefit of integrity is security. And when there's security, there's, there's, there's greater confidence, right? I want my wife Ellie to uh, feel security within our marriage. I want her to feel secure in that and know that she can trust me. Um, and that gives her greater confidence to trust me as we go along, right? I want there to be that security and greater confidence. Proverbs 10.9, the man of integrity walks securely. And then the third benefit of, of integrity is guidance, Right? And when there's guidance, there's better decisions. And I know I want to make better decisions all the time. Integrity gives us a sort of internal, internal guidance system, right, that we can make better decisions. Proverbs 11.3, the integrity of the upright guides them. Okay? 
And so you put these three things together, protection, security, and guidance, right? You put those things together and you plug them into any relationship and that's going to be a strength to that relationship. It's not going to drag that relationship down. And that's what I want for my life. That's what I want for you. I don't want to be a drag on that relationship, whatever it might be. I want to be a strength to that, okay? So how do we do this? How do we, how do we practice Integrity. How do we practice this goodness, this fruit of the Spirit goodness? What are some practical things that we can do? Well, let me share a few things with you this morning that are going to strengthen our relationships with goodness and with integrity, okay? Number one, speak honestly. Speak honestly. Mark Twain said one time that speaking honestly is better in our lives. It takes a lot of the stress out of our lives. In fact, he said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I don't want to have to remember everything, but I'm, I'm honest and I'm just always telling the truth, then, then, then that's great, you know? So, but you can't fake honesty, right? You, you can't fake it, especially with the people that are closest to you, amen? I mean, the people that are with you all the time, they'll know whether you're being honest or not. Your kids, your spouse, they know whether you're being honest or not. You can't fake it. And if you catch somebody in a lie, in a relationship, what happens? That trust that we talked about, the trust level begins to go down in the relationship. Speaking honestly is so very important. And here's the thing. As you speak honestly, let's do it the way the Bible instructs us to do it. Okay? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Speak the truth in the spirit of love. Everybody say love. Right? Don't be the truth police. <laughs> right? Don't be like coming in and saying, kick down the door. I'm going to give them the truth and, and I'm just going to beat them over the head with it. Man, and I'm right and I'm justified in this and I'm just going to give them the truth. Sometimes we do that and we can damage the relationship. Right? Circle spirit of love there in your Bible in that verse. Some people speak the truth in a relationship in a way that destroys the relationship rather than build that relationship. And it's important to speak honestly in a spirit of love. Some people don't tell the truth. They launch the truth like it's a guided missile into your life. And, and, and it can do damage, right? Look, we know we should tell the truth. And um, even as kids, right? My wife just reminded me of this when I came up here. And I got to share this, okay? I have a four-year-old daughter named Audrey. How many of you know Audrey? She got red hair. She got red hair for a reason. Sorry, Courtney Mendoza, if you're in here. This girl... You know, she got an older brother and sister, and older brother and sister never tested us like this little one. And um, she blatantly did, was dishonest last weekend, I think it was. We're trying to get her to eat more stuff, you know, trying to get her to eat stuff. And she has to have an I tried it bite every meal, right? She picked up something from her dad because I did this when I was, you know, God ends up bringing stuff back to repay us, doesn't he, as parents? And I did this, and I didn't tell her about it. She did it on her own, so she's pretty creative. And she had chocolate milk rice milk because she's, she's got allergies, right? And she's got this cup. She takes her bite of chicken and she takes a sip of her, her, uh, her chocolate milk because she has to have a drink with it because she doesn't like the chicken. And I just saw on her face and my parents were there, Ellie was there, but I saw it. Nobody else saw it, but I, I could just see it in her little blue little eyes and that little red hair. She was like, I, I knew she did something. And so I said, did you eat that? Did you swallow that? Mm-hmm, I did. I did it. I did it, Dad. And we sat there for about two minutes. I'm like, are you sure you ate that? You, you swallowed that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I did it, Dad. But it's just kind of this little bit scared look on her face. But she's like, I ain't. I've gone down this road. I'm not going back. I did it. I did, Dad. <laughs> and so we start playing. The kids start playing. And my parents are there. And I go to clean up the kitchen. And I come to that cup of, of chocolate milk. And I said, before I just dump this out, I'm going to pour it out slow. And sure enough, I get to the bottom. There's a piece of chicken that comes right out of there. 
And so we, we, we've done something with our two older kids, and it was now time to do it with Audrey. And that was we gave her a little sip of just regular straight vinegar on a spoon, right? And we taught her the lesson of, of honesty and being dishonest and lies and how lies taste to other people. And, um, and so... You know, honesty is so big, whether it's for little kids or for us. We have to have honesty in our relationships. You know, one survey said that 91% of Americans lie. 91%. I couldn't believe that when I saw that, right? But 91% of us lie. But we do, unfortunately. There are times when we lie and there's times that we refuse to tell the truth. Why is that? I think it's not so much sometimes a lack of integrity as much as it is just real fear. <laughs> fear that what will happen if I tell the truth in this situation, right? Some of you at work, you're afraid to tell the truth because you could get fired, right? Or with friends, I'm afraid to tell them the truth because they won't be my friend anymore. Um, at home, I, I could say the truth, but everybody's going to hate me if I tell the truth. Your, your spouse, your husband and wife relationship, we're going to end up having the biggest fight like we always do if I tell the truth in this situation, right? And so I'm just going to shut my mouth I'm going to leave it alone, and, and I'm just not going to be honest because I don't want to cause more frustration. I know what sometimes you're thinking, hey, for me, Pastor Stephen, it's not saying anything. It's not a matter, matter of integrity. It's, it's a matter of survival. <laughs> you don't understand my marriage. You don't understand this relationship, this situation, or my coworkers, right? It's a matter of survival. Well, let's be honest about honesty. Integrity and honest, honesty are a tremendous risk in relationships. They just are. You know, if I really told my parents what I did, man, they're going to lose it. I'm going to be grounded for the rest of my life. I, they're going to throw me out of the house, right? And we don't want to tell the truth because of the consequences, right? We could go on and on and on. And oftentimes in our attempt to keep the peace, what we actually do is just lie. And we think it's going to be all right. It's no big deal. We just cover it up. We justify it. And we lie. It doesn't matter what you're doing in life, okay? Even in the most simple, everyday things, there's risk involved. There's risk involved in, in our life. There's a risk in telling the truth. That's right. But there's even more of a tremendous risk when we don't tell the truth. It's just the way it is. We have to tell the truth. The risk in telling the truth is that things will blow up, we'll go through a conflict, and no, that's not fun. But the risk in not telling the truth is that you'll gradually grow apart. And I tell you what, we see that in marriages and relationships all the time because the truth was not given. Nobody spoke the truth, right? They didn't speak the truth in love. And all of us, when it comes to conflict, we're yellow. <laughs> we're scared. We don't want to do it. We don't like it, right? And, and so we avoid it at all costs. We justify things. But if you're struggling with a relationship with anybody, anybody, you need, to, you need to tell them the truth. And for some of us, my prayer for you is that God would give you the courage today, this week, to begin to tell the truth and speak honestly. Number two is to confess regularly, all right? Admit when you're wrong. How many of you love doing that? No men in the room raising their hand. I can see that. We're, we're real bad at that. There's a poem that's very helpful to those of us married in the room this morning. You ready for this? It's by Ogden Nash, and it says, To keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup. And I told first service, who says that? Who, who talks about loving cup? Anyway, when you're wrong, admit it. And when you're right, shut up. That's some good advice, isn't it? 
I mean, that's pretty good. Every time that I have violated either side of this, there's just been trouble. Ask that lady right there, my wife, Ellie, right? I just get in trouble. And do we, you know, it, it's, it's both of those are important. They're so important. When you're wrong, admit it. Admit it to the people in your relate, that you're in relationship with. In the New Testament, in the book of James, it talks about this in chapter 5, verse 16. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other. You might say, well, well, isn't telling my faults to God enough? Do I really need to go further than that? Do I have to ask the other person's permission to be forgiven? Right? Well, not technically. God's the one who forgives us, right? Forgives them, forgives us. And we're not the ones who give forgiveness like that. But in order to restore the relationship with them, we need to talk to them about what happened. We need to confess. We need to admit it. We need to say that we're sorry. And if you could begin to get a hold of this and understand it, admit it when you're wrong, it would change everything. Let the, let the principle of forgiveness begin to work in your relationship. It would, it would open a floodgate of new joy in all the relationships that you have. Because there's a barrier, and that barrier is unforgiveness. It's a barrier that keeps many of our relationships from being healthy, from being what God wants them to be. There's a story by Ernest Hemingway. He talked about a father and a son who had moved to Madrid, Spain together. And somehow they began to grow apart. And the son eventually ran away from home. He joined the thousands of other young boys that were running the streets at that time. And the father couldn't find his son. He looked and he looked and he searched. He asked all his friends. And finally, in desperation, he decided to take out an ad in the Madrid Daily newspaper. And it said, Paco, please come home. I'm desperately wanting to see you. If you want to see me, meet me in front of the newspaper office tomorrow morning. All is forgiven, Dad. The next morning, the father showed up, went down there, and, and there were 800 young boys in front of the newspaper office. 800. If we would just say, I forgive you. I'm the one who was wrong. I'm the one who messed up. It would open a floodgate into our relationships, into our marriages, into relationships with our kids, our coworkers, you name it. If you want to understand where the strength to do this, or, or you have to understand, I'm sorry, where the strength to do this comes from, right? It comes from not us. You're not going to find the strength on your own to be forgiving, okay? Uh, to admit it when you're wrong in your own good character. Remember, we talked about it. We're just not good enough. We're not good enough. You don't find it there, and you don't find it in the other person's good character. It's not going to happen that way. It's found in God's forgiveness in us. That's where it's found. 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins to him, he can be depended on to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. If you want to be forgiving, then you've got to be forgiven. Does that make sense? You must find Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that we all need. And that's where the strength comes from. Struggling to forgive others 90% of the time, it's because you need to recognize the wonderful forgiveness in your own life. And it only comes from Jesus. And that's the place to start. Number three, live consistently. We need to live consistently. The opposite of consistency is hypocrisy. You may be able to hide hypocrisy at work or even here at church on a Sunday morning, but you can't hide it from the people who know you the most. Right? The people that love you the most. You can't hide it there. Remember, we said earlier that the synonym for goodness is wholeness. Right? And so integrity comes from the Latin word uh, integer, which means whole. Right? And that's important because so to have goodness, 
To have integrity is to have wholeness, to be whole, right? In other words, it to be the same self in every single place of your daily life, right? It's called living consistently. A person of no integrity is one person in public and another person in private. Y'all know anybody like that? That's, that's sad, right? I don't want to be like that. A person with integrity is the same in public as they are in private. You are consistent. You are the same in what you think, in what you say, and what you do. And so consistency, right? Living consistent, there's some, there's some vital areas about being consistent, okay? Here's just a couple I want to throw at you. One is your public versus your private image, okay? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 1, Take care, do not, uh, do, I'm sorry, do not do your good deeds publicly to be admired. He's not saying never do anything where people can't see it. He did, he did a lot of good deeds where people could see it and did it publicly. He's talking about the motivation behind it here. Don't just do it to be admired by other people, to make yourself look good. Why do we let our families down in order to build our public image up? You know, here's the truth. You know, a lot of people could do this job, the job of, that I have here at this church, the job of pastor of connections and spiritual formation. You know, a lot of people could do that um, and do a good job of it. I'm thrilled that God has called me here to do it. I enjoy it. I love it. Love being here. Love the team I get to work with. Um, they're so awesome. Sometimes I wonder what in the world I'm doing here hanging out with these talented people. But there's a lot of people who could do that. But there's only one person that can be dad to Landon Courtney and to Natalie Courtney and Audrey Courtney, and that's me. I'm the only one that can do that. There's only one man that can be husband to Ellie Courtney, and that's me. That's me, right? And so that's huge, and we all need to remember that. Our goal should be to be admired by those in our life, the, the, those that are closest to us, the most important people in our life, right? So public versus private image. Number two, another consistent, uh, vital area of consistency is discipline. This is for the parents in the room, right? I just want to stop there for a second. Kids need consistency. They need love. They need encouragement, man, but they need discipline, consistency and discipline too, right? Um, Ephesians 6.4 talks about fathers bringing up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then another vital area of consistency is my words and my action. I hope you've never said and never will say this phrase, do as I say, not as I do. Some of you are like, oh shoot, That's, right? Uh, we, we messed up a little bit there, right? I've done it too. Um, but we, we should never do that. It's better to say, hey, shoot for what I'm shooting for. I'm not perfect as your husband, as your wife, as your dad. Um, but hey, I'm on a journey of following Jesus. I want to apply these principles in my life. I want to practice integrity. I want to apply this fruit to my life. Go with me. Go with me. Let's, let's do it together, right? We want our actions to be what changes people, not just our words. Let our actions back up our words. 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, a few weeks ago, I got poison ivy, and I got it bad. Some of you in this room know me, and you saw it. It was bad. It was not good. I look at poison ivy, and I get it. It's just, I always get it. But this was probably the worst I have ever gotten it about four weeks ago. And, I mean, if you could see my arms, I've still got, like, scars from it. And um, I said this in first service. I'm going to say it again. Do you know who picked on me the most and gave me a hard time about my poison ivy? Your pastor, Jeremy Ancy. He picked on me a lot. And that's just not right. He's a buster. I tell you what, I know he's watching this, and I want him to hear that. And uh, I would walk in the room, and he'd say, unclean, unclean. Right? We were, 
We were helping the Chanowskis move to Nacogdoches, and we were going through the drive-thru of Burger King or something, and I'm driving, and he's getting a drink and stuff, and he goes to hand me his debit card, and he grabs a napkin and puts it around the card. And I'm like, yeah, you're funny, watch this. And I wanted to like rub his card all over my poison ivy. But it was, it was bad, man, it was bad. And one of the hardest parts was my kids because I love playing with them and, and hugging them and, and they're kind of looking at this stuff like, hey dad, I wanna hug you, but they'd ask the question, is it contagious, right? And for a while, I guess it was, I'm learning about this stuff, but um, I had to tell them, you know, later, it's, it looks bad, but it's not contagious anymore. You know, you can, you can come near me, you can sit next to me, but they didn't wanna be near me if it was contagious, they didn't want that. And that idea of being contagious, right? There's this connection with consistency. Your life should be contagious in a good way. Make it consistent, right? Your words aren't contagious, but your lifestyle is, right? If you, if you have a lifestyle that's filled with hypocrisy and consistency, then, then you've sort of gotten used to this over a long period of time. Those who are closest to you see it, and, and they're going to want to run from you like the plague. But if you're consistent in your love, consistent in your discipline, consistent and you're the same person all the time. You're not just mean dad and nice dad and you're this dad and that dad. No, you're, you're consistent all the way through. It's gonna have a huge impact on the most important people in your life. There's real power and consistency. And number four, this is the last one, is you need to, by practicing um, integrity and goodness in our life, we need to commit openly. It's a good practice, right, for integrity and for goodness, is we need to commit openly. What does this mean? Well, integrity means that you must make up your mind in advance. We gotta make up our mind in advance. There's some times in your life when you should not wait to make up your mind. When you are standing at the end of the aisle in front of the preacher as the groom, and your wife comes down, and he says, on your wedding day, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? That's not the time to say, hey, you know what? Let me think about that for a second, right? No, you, you make up your mind in advance, right? Make up your mind in advance about integrity, about goodness. Decide in advance who you're going to be and who you're not going to be. This is what God's like, right? He says in Isaiah 45, 19, I publicly proclaim bold promises I do not whisper obscurities in some dark corner so that no one will know what I mean. Why is that important? Well, you, you might say to yourself, man, I can't always trust myself to make the right decision, so I shouldn't commit openly. I'm not sure that's a good idea for me to make a commitment because I might, I might let somebody down. People have always let me down. I don't want to let anybody else down. But just remember, it's always easier to make up excuses than to make up your mind for all of us. And that's why once you've made up your mind, you tell someone, you tell a spouse, you tell a close friend, an accountability partner in your life. Tell it to the right someone about your commitment. You know, many of us uh, have never told anybody about our commitment to integrity. That's not something we do a lot. We've never talked with anyone about it because we think, man, it's my business. Uh, you know, and, and, and we also sometimes think that, um, man, what if I mess up? But we all need to understand what an important part voicing our commitment plays. We think, man, if I tell somebody I'm going to fall short, I'm going to feel embarrassed, I'm going to feel like a failure. And that's the very reason that you need to tell somebody. So that they can put, put, your, life, put your life on the line a little bit. And we need to do that a little bit in our relationships. We all need some people in our life that we can tell about our commitment so that they can help us be accountable in those commitments to being a good dad, 
to being a good wife and mother, to being uh, all that God has called us to be. When there is that commitment, then the goal is that I grow to become more and more like Christ in my life. And the reason many of us are not growing in our lives is because we have never said, this is what I'm going to be, and this is what I'm not going to be. I am not going to be who my father was. I'm going to strive to have goodness in my life. I'm going to strive to do this and be the kind of dad that my kids need me to be. You fill in the blank. We need that. Growth begins with a commitment. Romans 10.9 says that's where our Christian life begins. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why do we need to confess it with our mouth? Why is that important? God knows our heart better than anybody else. Yeah, he does. Why do we have to say it out loud? It's not for God's sake. It's for your sake. It's for my sake. He knows what a powerful thing voicing our commitment can mean in our life to him and to our relationships. I'd like all of us to make this our testimony to God. Okay? I will walk in my house in the integrity of my heart. Psalms 101 verse 2. Right? Let that be our goal. Let that be who we want to become. It begins with voicing a commitment. And if you're not ready to make this commitment, maybe you need to begin with the verse that we shared before that, and that's to ask Jesus Christ to become your life, to become your everything, and confess to him as Lord. Well, let me close with this, guys. Let me finish with this. A life surrendered to the goodness of God gives us the opportunity to develop a life of integrity and wholeness, right? The more we live with integrity and practice the things that we talk about this morning, the more the goodness of God will be on display in us and through us. People are going to see it. People are going to experience it. Your coworkers, your family, your kids, your spouse, they're going to see the goodness of God begin to happen. And again, it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. It all begins with a supernaturally changed heart. We can't do it on our own. Only God is good. He, you know, he, he is the goodness in our life. He is that good gift. Every good and perfect gift comes from him, right? And it's only through him that we can put this goodness on display in our life. And when we allow him to supernaturally change our hearts, we begin to display that. It begins to change people's lives. It begins to, it becomes easier. It's just who we are, right? We're not perfect. We're going to mess up. We're still going to have to monitor our hearts at times. But with God's help, we can begin to display that goodness that, that God wants us to have in our lives. Amen?